Hey, this is Pastor Allen. I'm the lead pastor here at First Baptist Church of Naples, and we are so happy that you have chosen to join us as we go through God's Word together. God's doing some amazing things here, and we pray that God's Word will transform you from the inside out. Our mission here is to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus Christ of all peoples. And our hope is, is that you are being a disciple that makes disciples. Now, if you don't have a church home, we would love for you to join us either in person or continuing online as we go into God's Word together every week. But if you are a member of another church, we don't want this to be in any way, shape, form, or fashion a substitute for you being connected to your local body. So our prayer is, is that God uses His Word to change you and to change others. So we pray that God will use you and this message for His glory. Have a great day. Well, hey, we're going to get into God's Word, so if you have a copy of God's Word or it has on your phone, uh, you can turn to Mark chapter 14. Uh, Mark chapter 14 is where we are going to begin. We're going to begin in verse number one. Mark chapter 14 in verse number one. Let's stand as we read God's Word. Mark chapter 14 in verse one. The Holy Spirit says through John Mark, it was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over Jesus's head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me for you always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good for them, but you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot was one who was one of the 12, went to the chief priest in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give Judas money. And he sought an opportunity to betray Jesus. You may be seated. It is Mother's Day. Uh, we love and celebrate all women and today, especially mothers. Amen. Amen. Good job, man. You, you caught that one. Amen. Let's Everyone who is alive is here because a woman carried you in their body for nine months. There's a recent study that was done. The world population right now is 8 billion, 30 million, 610,062 people. And according to that same study, all of those people were born from a woman. Just in case you were wondering, zero from a man, all right? <laughs> but here's the question. Who are good role models for young girls? I have a daughter who's 10 years old. She was up here singing. It just melted my heart. I love Anna. And I was wondering, who is a good role model? So I went to the Google machine. 
And I Google in, who are the top role models for young girls? Here is what was said. Now, listen, this is not political. I'm just saying what the Google machine said. Beyonce, Taylor Swift, Oprah Winfrey, Hillary Clinton, Ellen DeGeneres, Rihanna, Emma Watson, Billie Eilish, and Jazz Jennings, who these are called role models because of their influence, their beauty, their ability, their social political views. But to be honest with you, I have no desire to criticize any of them. So this is not political, but here's what I will say. I don't want any of them to be a role model for my daughter. But the truth is that most young girls in America know pretty much everyone on that list, but very few young girls in America know about the truly remarkable women of the Bible. You know, some people say, well, that Bible, it is an archaic, uh, chauvinistic, uh, Neanderthal book written by a bunch of grumpy old men to suppress and oppress women. One thing that you'll see in the gospels and one thing you'll see in the new Testament is what separates Christianity from all other religions is how Christianity actually elevates women, that all men and women are created in the image of God, equal in essence, dignity, value, and worth. And over the years of not only Old Testament and New Testament history and church history, God has used remarkable women to change the world. And one thing that we find in Mark's gospel is that there are 15 women referenced in the gospel of Mark. And each and every one of these 15 women serve as examples for faith, for generosity, and devotion to Jesus. And so today... We're going to talk about one of them. And in a world searching for role models, Jesus says, here is one for all of us. And so the woman we're going to talk about today is not just an example for women, but it's an example for every person. Jesus says that wherever the gospel is proclaimed, her story is going to be told. And what makes her a role model is that she is someone who worships and adores Jesus with all of her heart and all of her life. Parents, this is what you should want for your children. Grandparents, this is what you should want for your grandchildren. Not that they would have more, th- more degrees than a thermometer, not that they would have a- athletic prowess, not that they would make a lot of money, but that your kids would be passionate followers and worshipers of Jesus. That's what we should want. And that deserves a hearty amen and a praise the Lord. And so that's what we're going to look at today. Now, as we get into Mark 14, maybe this is your first time here and you're wondering about everything. Well, as we're here in Mark 14, we've been going for the past few months, going through the book of Mark. And here we see the mood has changed from where we have been. Everything in Mark's gospel, it's a story. And so like if you're watching a movie, there comes to be a moment of, of, of the, the climax of the story. And the climax of this story is at the end of the book. Everything has been moving towards Good Friday and Easter Sunday. 
And so chapter 14 serves as the big setup to get you to the crucifixion and get you to the resurrection. It's the longest chapter in Mark's gospel, and it, and it leads us to what is ultimately coming. But in chapter 14, Jesus is going to be rejected, he's going to be betrayed, and he's going to be abandoned. But before he is abandoned, he is going to be adorned. And so Mark will begin chapter 14 with a contrast. So this is what the sermon's going to be. It's going to start maybe a little off for a Mother's Day sermon, but when you get to the end, you're going to see how it all comes together. There's an intentional contrast between a man who sold Jesus out for money and a woman who gave up her most valuable possession to show you and I the meaning of true wholehearted devotion to Jesus. So let's unpack this. There's a contrast. The first is an indifferent betrayal. So verses one and two uh, give us a time signature. The two days before the Passover, it's Wednesday. Uh, if you've been going with us these past few weeks, Jesus has just spoken on the Mount of Olives through the Olivet Discourse. Uh, this, you say, what, what are you talking about? Uh, he spoke about the end of the world, the destruction of the temple. Prior to that little talk he gave, he was interrogated by the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and a scribe. And everything that happened in chapter 13 and up to this point has been background to get us to the last two days of the life of Jesus, where Jesus is going to be delivered and crucified. Mark tells us this, this all happens during the Passover. And the Passover is to this day a celebrated Jewish, religi uh, Jewish holiday. Uh, in that day, it was a, a religious kind of national celebration. If you were to take Christmas, Thanksgiving, and Independence Day, put it into one day, that would be the Passover. It reminded Israel of God's deliverance from the Egyptian bondage. It was a annual event in which people from the known world would descend on Jerusalem and they would worship God in the temple area. They would sacrifice and then they would have a meal that they would eat in the evening that would point people to God's deliverance for his people. And so Mark is telling us that it is no accident that Jesus is going to be betrayed and crucified during the Passover. The one thing you're going to note over these next few weeks is that Jesus is not being swept along as a victim of his circumstances. Uh, Jesus is the one who's actually driving the circumstances, that he has repeatedly told them this is what's going to take place, and it's all going to be according to the definite sovereign plan of God that Jesus Christ would be crucified around the Passover celebration, and he would be the ultimate Passover lamb, the one that would take away the sins of the world. And so Mark tells us that it was during this moment that the chief priests and the scribes, the religious uh, establishment, went into stealth mode. They uh, started to conspire with one another and how they could get rid of Jesus. Now, in their minds, they didn't want to do it during Passover because uh, the city was really crowded and it would cause civil and social unrest because uh, Passover, as I've told you before, is like season in Naples on steroids. People are from everywhere and there are hundreds of thousands of animals. So it was, it was really, really nuts. And so uh, they did not want to do it then because they were afraid of an uproar. Uh, they also didn't want people to uh, see their true motives. And so they were kind of secretly doing this. Now, sin always works in the dark. Sin always works in secret. One of the things I tell my kids when they think they're sneaking, have any of you ever had your kids try to sneak something? They, they are not as good as they think they are. And whenever I catch them sneaking things, I tell them, listen, if you have to sneak it, you probably shouldn't do it, right? 
Because if you do the right thing, you never have to sneak and hide. And so here they are, they're sneaking and hiding. And so that's what Mark is doing. Then Mark's gonna tell us a story that we're gonna dive deeper into. And then after that story, he's gonna tell us, he's gonna pick up where he was. And so like if we were in a movie, we have a scene, scene change, back to the scene. And so Mark here in verses 10, 12, tells us that as they were looking for somebody to help them on, to get rid of Jesus, someone shows up and his name is Judas. Judas is an inside guy. He's one of the 12. And they were looking and hoping for someone to help them get rid of Jesus. And he shows up. They didn't seek him. He sought them. This was his own initiative. This was his own choice. We don't know why. Maybe he was upset with Jesus. Maybe he was looking for another type of Messiah. Maybe he was greedy. I mean, he was the church treasure and he had sticky fingers. We don't know. But here's what we do understand about Judas. It's possible to walk with Jesus and not be a true believer of Jesus. That you can follow Jesus for a time, but not really have a relationship with Jesus. I don't know how many times I've had parents come to me and say, well, my little kid prayed some prayer, they were baptized, and now they don't believe in God, but I know one day they'll go to heaven. Don't be so sure. Proximity to Jesus or profession in Jesus doesn't always mean salvation. And Judas here, he was just kind of faking it till he made it. And he thought no one knew his secret, but we know that Jesus knew his secret. And so when they heard from Judas that he wanted to betray Jesus, they were glad. They came to him and said, hey, we'll give you some money if you do this. I mean, Judas was, I mean, this was a thing. And so they offer him, we know, 30 pieces of silver. That's Matthew chapter 26, verse 15. This also happened to be fulfillment of prophecy in Zechariah chapter 10. But here's the thing about the 30 pieces of silver. It's not just that it fulfills prophecy, but the thing about the 30 pieces of silver is that this was like the minimum price for a slave. And so in that day, the price you would pay, like let's say you had an ox and your ox accidentally kills another slave. Well, you would pay the person who was the owner. Again, we are completely in slavery, but this was that system. You would pay that owner 30 pieces of silver. It was the lowest possible price. And so Jesus's worth to Judas was the lowest possible price paid for the lowest possible person. To Judas, Jesus was worth more dead than alive. So he based his understanding of Jesus on a calculated benefit. And because Jesus was a better benefit to him dead than alive, he cast Jesus in to see what he could get. And so Jesus was undervalued, lightly esteemed, betrayed by Judas, sold out for a trifle. Now, there was some commentators and, and others who kind of did what would 30 pieces of silver equal in today's money. And if you even add inflation, scholars say that it was about $19.20. Think how cheap that is. And think about Judas. He had every advantage. He knew who Jesus was. He saw Jesus. He lived with Jesus. He heard Jesus' sermons. He witnessed Jesus' miracles, experienced Jesus' kindness, and still sold him out. And I'm reading this text. I'm thinking, well, how much, do I, how much would I sell Jesus out for? And how often in my life do I trade other things in for Jesus? I mean, it's amazing what you and I will trade for Jesus. We will sell Jesus out for 30 minutes of pleasure. We will sell Jesus out for a fun party. We'll, we'll choose 
something like a career move more than Jesus or a quick high or we, we will trade Jesus for approval or popularity. And, and here's what I know. Satan will always offer his best and his brightest for the rest of your life. And so the Bible says here that he sought an opportunity to betray Jesus. Here is a man that so undervalued Jesus, so overvalued himself, and he sought an opportunity to get what he could. And here's what I want you to think about this morning. Is that before you head out on your next bender, before you get involved in your next adulterous rendezvous or your next porn search or your shady business deal, think about that phrase. He sought an opportunity to betray him. And remember that whenever you trade Jesus for something, you always get ripped off. And may it never be said of you or me that we sought an opportunity to betray Jesus because that's what Judas did. Judas chose money more than he wanted Jesus. To him, silver and gold was worth way more than Jesus. Now, you say, well, this is a horrible Mother's Day sermon. <laughs> this is the backdrop to what we're going to see. You, I want, remember, this is a contrast. And so we have Judas, who has an indifferent betrayal, didn't care about Jesus, betrayed him for a trifle. And then you're going to see this woman... And we're going to see her extravagant worship. So verse number three, while Jesus was in Bethany. So again, imagine we're a movie. Scene one is this. They're looking to get rid of Jesus. Scene two is this moment here. And then scene three is coming back to where Judas comes to them. And so there's a flashback. So what Mark is doing in verse three, and you also see this in Matthew's gospel, is there's a flashback. So the, so the, the Sanhedrin, the, the, the chief priests and the scribes, they're looking to get rid of Jesus. That's two days before the crucifixion. Go six days before the Passover. This would be Saturday night. The, the Saturday right before Palm Sunday, Jesus enters into the city on Palm Sunday. Jesus is at a dinner party. So imagine like some of you all last night went to a dinner party. He went to the dinner party. He was invited to go to the house of Simon the leper. Okay. Now this is a former leper, not a leopard, leper, skin disease, if, this, if he currently had leprosy, no one would be at his party. <laughs> It'd be a party of one. He was a former outcast. More than likely, Jesus has healed him of his condition. Even though his name was still Simon the leper, his condition did not remain. Maybe it was a reminder to him of a testimony of what Jesus can do. He lived in a town of Bethany. Bethany's gonna serve as a base camp, so Jesus, all throughout the week in Jerusalem, is gonna go back and forth from Bethany to Jerusalem. Bethany, Jerusalem's two miles east of Jerusalem. Bethany means house of the poor, so Jesus stayed in the poor house. <laughs> and so he goes to this guy's house, and this is a very fascinating dinner party because the dinner party was thrown in honor of a guy named Lazarus. If you're not familiar with Lazarus, Lazarus is a guy that Jesus raised from the dead after four days. So that's a pretty interesting dinner party. <laughs> you have a former leprous man and a former dead man, and you're eating with them. And by the way, you have 12 disciples, and Jesus is at the party. And so there they are. Now, this is a very pro-Jesus group. They believe that Jesus was the Messiah. And so while they're sitting there eating, a woman comes in. 
Now we know this is Mary, who is Lazarus's sister. It's more than likely that Martha and Mary were in the house uh, and the men were over in the room eating. They were maybe somewhere else. And so while the men were eating and relaxing, Mary comes in and she has in her hands an alabaster box that had some expensive nard. Now, some of you have no idea what nard is and you probably don't want to wear nard. Uh, I've not seen on television, you know, uh, nard. Um. But nard was a resin from a tree in India. It's ground down into a powder, mixed with olive oil, and be used as a perfume. And so this was about a pound of nard, worth about 300 denarii. And so if you take the average income in Florida and think about one year's wage, because that's what 300 denarii would be, this would be about forty-five dollars to $5,000 an ounce. It's about the same price as gas right now. <laughs> and so, um, so she comes in there with the perfume. Now listen, perfume was normal in a party like this. Because in this day, when you had a lot of men in the room, they didn't have deodorant back in those days. And they didn't take regular showers. And so they stunk by their own standards. And so there they are. I mean, everybody's eating. And so it would be normal for somebody. So the host would normally have aromatics. And so they would have these things, incense and different things burning. They would have different perfumes. They would do this to mask the smell. In our days, when you have somebody over, what do you normally do? You normally light a candle, don't you? Or you get to plug it in, right? Plug it in, plug it in. <laughs> Middle school boys, you know what they use? Axe deodorant spray. That's going to be fun on the podcast hearing me say that. And so Mary, I mean, listen, Mary's coming in and they're all oh, Mary's coming. Mary, Lazarus is your sister. Yeah. You know, she was freaking out at the funeral, but she got calm after you got up. And so anyway, so she comes in with this box and like everybody knew this was a pretty big deal, pretty big box, pretty expensive box. She comes in and they're thinking, oh, she, listen, she's got the good stuff. She's going to like go out there and she knows we stink. And so she's coming in here. She's going to take care of it. And so she comes in, everybody's looking at her. She takes the flask, sees Jesus, who's reclining at table, goes over Jesus, breaks the flask, all of it pours out on Jesus's head. While this is going slow motion, people's going, what are you doing? You know, but it was too late, all gone, poured out, went over his head, went down his body, down his beard, down his body to his feet. She actually washed and wiped the feet of Jesus with her hair. So this is a room full of men. Everybody in that room is angry except for one. The room is hostile. They are horrified at what she has done and baffled at why she would do it. Like you, they're, they're saying, you didn't have to break the flask. You didn't have to pour it out. What are you doing? Because the men in the room started to calculate stuff. You know, most men are calculating, right, women? Most men are pragmatic, right, men? <laughs> you say, what does pragmatic mean? <laughs> Ask your wife, she'll tell you. <laughs> and I have issues being calculating. You know, like when, when we were first married, you know, we, we, we didn't make a lot of money. And when we started having kids, kids are expensive. You know, you have to feed them. And so, um, you know, I would, um, 
we would take them out when they were little, where they could eat like little things. We'd take them out to eat and we would go somewhere and, uh, you know, uh, April would start ordering things. And I was like, I'd look at her and be like, like we're in the middle of an order, like a Chick-fil-A. And we're like, yeah, I'll take a number one and number two and I'll take three kids meals. And I'm looking at my wife, three kids meals, like they won't eat all that. Just get one and they can split it, you know? Learn how to share, start it early, right? <laughs> then April get mad at me, it would be a mess. Here's the problem, the older they are, you gotta now get them a meal. I mean, it's crazy, right? And they don't do kids meals anymore, they've outgrown them. And so, you, I mean, you, you go to Chick-fil-A now, with my family, family five, you ain't going out for less than 50 bucks. Right? You're just not. You're just not. A Chick-fil-A. Like when me, April and I were dating, I was very calculating. And so like, I would let her order first. And then based upon what she ordered, I would order. <laughs> so if she's ordering filet mignon and a lobster tail, I'm getting a toothpick float, okay? <laughs> what are you doing? I'm fasting. I'm fasting. I'm praying about our relationship. Yeah. You enjoy, right? Y'all laugh because you know, right? Right, men? And some of you men this afternoon, you're going to mess up what I'm talking about here. Do, on Mother's Day, do not be calculating, all right? Just don't do it. Don't do it. Get another job, okay? Get another job. All right? So Judas, most scholars believe it was Judas. Judas is mumbling to himself. Maybe they're mumbling to each other. They're saying, hey, listen, what a waste. This could have been given to the poor. Now, listen, Judas is not being altruistic here. Judas thought he was poor and wanted a piece of it. <laughs> but to Judas and to the men in that room, it was inexcusable extravagance and lavishness. And the problem wasn't their concern for the poor. The problem was their evaluation of Jesus. They think it's wasteful. And they scold her and demean her. And as they are scolding and demeaning her, they are essentially scolding and demeaning Jesus, saying, you're not worth it. See, the shocking thing in this story is not how much this woman gave to Jesus. The shocking thing in this story is how little the disciples thought of Jesus. See, because in this moment, even though they believed in Jesus and believed he was the Messiah, they had moderate devotion. They didn't have a problem with anyone doing something nice for Jesus. I mean, as a matter of fact, it was customary to do something nice for the main guest. But what this woman did was radical. She poured on Jesus $50,000 worth of perfume. Granny used to say this. Y'all, maybe your granny said this. A little dab will do. Anybody heard that one? <laughs> a little dab will do. They're in their mind saying, listen, Mary, a little dab will do. Most people I have come in contact with, they are totally fine with moderate, measured devotion to Jesus. But don't be a Jesus freak. C.S. Lewis said, the world has never had a problem with religion in moderation. It, it has no problem with too much wealth or too much power or too much sex or too much influence, but it does have a problem with too much religion. You can have any kind of religion you want, as long as it's not extreme. That's where some people are. It's maybe where some of you are. So Jesus looks at this situation, sees this woman as she is pouring everything she has out on Jesus, and he looks at these knucklehead disciples, and he says, leave her alone. Do not trouble her. She has done a beautiful thing. What you think is wasteful, 
I see is beautiful. As a matter of fact, what she's doing, you guys should be doing. Now, here's the question as we're kind of landing the plane here, is why does Jesus call what she did beautiful? I wanna give you three reasons why he called it beautiful. Number one, it was beautiful because, of it, because it was reckless abandonment. What she gave Jesus was a family heirloom. Uh, probably her most precious possession and more than likely the security for her future marriage. So in this day, if you were to marry a good, marry a person of means, you had to have a, a, a dowry that was commiserate with who you would marry. So this was her very prized possession. And so she gave away the dowry that was to be given to her future husband. Essentially, she is pouring out her future on Jesus. Here's my future. All my plans, all my hopes, all my dreams, all my future, Jesus, I give it to you. Wow, how how beautiful is that? She she gave her future to Jesus. She abandoned it. Second, selfless sacrifice. We don't know if this was a spontaneous decision or premeditated act. But the one thing we know is that she wasn't cheap. She gave her all to Jesus. And she was willing to humble herself, to wipe Jesus' feet with her hair. You know, in the first century Jewish society, a master could ask their servant to do anything but touch their feet. Dealing with feet was the most humiliating, demeaning act of the lowest servant, but you couldn't be forced to do it. Here, this woman willingly follows Jesus regardless of the personal humiliation. The Bible says that the woman's glory was in her hair. And there she takes the glory of her hair and wipes her hair on the feet of Jesus. There was nothing too much. There was nowhere too far. She didn't care about what her culture or her family or her friends thought about her. She only cared what Jesus thought about her. How beautiful is that? I hear stories often from our workers in different countries in the world. And and this story I heard a few months ago was about a woman in Indonesia. She was a college professor in a major college there. She also was a devout Muslim. And one night she received a dream of her being in heaven and she was on the outside of the gate. She's on the outside of the fence. She wanted to come through the gate, but she wasn't allowed to. And this dream happened seven nights in a row. On the seventh night, she had the same dream. She looks inside the fence And it was a doctor that she knew, a medical doctor. She saw that woman on the inside of the fence and she woke up. The next morning, she calls their doctor friend. She says, I need to meet with you. I had a dream about you. And so she talks to her doctor friend, says, hey, I had a dream that we were in heaven. I was on the outside of the gate. You were on the inside of the gate. And I want to know why are you on the inside of the gate? And her friend says, I'm a Christian. 
She shared Jesus with her friend. This professor, this college professor, this devout Muslim gave her life to Jesus Christ, started getting connected with our workers there in that town, and she eventually became a, a disciple and a, a baptized believer. She goes to her family who lives in a remote village in Indonesia, and she tells them what happened. She tells them about the dream. She tells them about the woman, the doctor. Uh, she tells them uh, about the gospel and what Jesus has done, and she tells about her new life. She tells about her baptism, and the parents start hitting her and, and yelling at her and, and screaming at her, and they says, if you continue to believe this, you can no longer be our daughter. She left her house, went back to the church and to our workers, and here's what she said. She said, I would rather lose my parents than lose my Savior. Because when you see how much Jesus is worth, he's worth it all. She had reckless abandonment, selfless sacrifice. She had fearless worship. What others thought was a waste of money and resources, she knew was worth it. She sees Jesus as beautiful, while her critics only see Jesus as useful. Why is that? Why is it that she sees the beauty of Jesus that everyone else doesn't see? Because every time, in the three times she's mentioned in the Gospels, each time that you see Mary, she is at the feet of Jesus, listening to Jesus, worshiping Jesus, hanging on every word of Jesus. Why? Because she knows he's the only one who can change my life. Now, listen, with so many people that are in this room, some of you watching online, listening to this podcast, whatever, I know that some of you, you hear a woman bowing down at the feet of a man and that repulses you. Some of you have been abused by men, have been hurt by men, have been tortured by men. There are stories I've heard of women in our church who have, who have been so abused and hurt by men. And when you think in your mind about Christianity, you think, how can I ever submit to a man? How can I ever worship a man? That doesn't make sense. And I will tell you, you're right. Because no man deserves this kind of worship unless he's the God-man. Because what she saw, the reason she could give her dowry away is because she saw the true lover of her soul. That she knew that he was more valuable than any husband she would ever marry. That he was the true lover of her soul. That he through his selfless sacrifice, love for her was worth everything she could give to him. I want you to understand that when you pour your life out for Jesus, it's never a waste. Every dollar you give, every prayer you pray, every moment you spend serving, and every time you share the gospel is an opportunity to pour out and leverage all that you have for Jesus. You know, we live in such a results-oriented society that we think that if something we do, we don't see immediate results, and that means it's not worth doing. But I want you to hear today that whatever you do out of love for Jesus, 
Even though it may not have produced the results you expected, you can understand that Jesus knows you've done it and he will never forget it. Worshiping Jesus is never a waste of time. Every time you worship Jesus is an opportunity to lavishly, in some small way, share with him love that he's already given to you. And we should never marginalize gathering together. We should prioritize it. See, Jesus is worthy of our worship. He's worthy of our singing. He's worthy of our giving. He's worthy of our serving. He's worthy of all. Listen, we cannot be half-hearted or indifferent. The worship that Jesus desires is not casual, dispassionate worship. It's not done in moderation. It's wholehearted, total, passionate worship of Jesus. Because here's what I believe. You can't love Jesus too much. So let's end with this. If you're from Somerset, Kentucky, which I don't think many of you are. I, I was born in Somerset, Kentucky. I lived there off and on as a child. On Highway 27, the same 27 in Florida, it goes all the way up there. And they are paved roads, by the way, in case you're wondering. <laughs> Upon old 27 was a flea market. Y'all know what flea markets are? In this old flea market, people would go in there, they'd buy and sell and trade, and you get more than fleas, okay? <laughs> you might get some fleas, but you get more than fleas. And, and, and people would peddle their stuff, and on the outside was this big, huge sign. The sign said, one man's junk is another man's treasure. So that's, that's the contrast here in the text. To Judas, Jesus was junk. And he sold him to the highest bidder. To this woman, Mary, he was her greatest treasure. And she gave everything she had to get him. Why? Because she knew he was her savior. She saw him as beautiful because she had experienced love like no other. You know that the greatest beauty one can behold cannot be Instagrammed. It can only be experienced in the heart. Jesus says in verse eight, what she has, she, she did what she could. She has anointed my body before the burial. It is extremely unlikely that she knew that Jesus was going to be buried soon. And it was very unlikely she knew that she was going to be anointing his body for burial. Even though she didn't know it, Jesus did. And Jesus knew that the only way he could give her a new life was he was going to have to give her his life. And he was going to have to give his life for her. And that's why Jesus says, wherever the gospel, the good news is proclaimed, in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. We did that today. We fulfilled that promise even to this day. That her story would forever be tied to Jesus' story. And Jesus' story would forever be tied to her story. You see that? And if you're a Christian, your story is tied to Jesus' story. 
and Jesus' story is tied to yours. And if you and I are going to be like her, we've got to reflect on what Jesus has done for us. See, just as she broke the flask and just as she spilled out the priceless perfume on Jesus, so that is what Jesus did for us. Because on the cross, Jesus, God's priceless treasure, would be broken and spilled out and used up for you and me. No greater love. So here's the ending question. How much is Jesus worth to you? How much is Jesus worth to you? Is he worth only what you can get from him? Or is he worth, or is his worth shown in what you'll give for him? Judas only loved Jesus for what he could get from him. And then he loved him and he left him. Mary, she loved Jesus because she knew Jesus loved her. And she loved him and he never left her. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation to whoever believes. And God, today, would you put it emblazed upon all of our hearts, the wonderful, beautiful worth of Jesus. And Father, today, for those in this room, those watching online, if they do not know you as Savior, God, today, would they not trade you in for a trifle, but would they be willing to give all that they have, surrender it to you, and make you the Lord and Savior of their life? Father, I pray you would raise up more women like Mary, women of God who will be broken and spilled out and worship you. God, would you raise up more like her? And we pray, God, that you would call out those who have not trusted you today, that they would trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing about the wonderful, beautiful worth of Jesus. Thank you for joining us as we go through God's Word together. I pray again that God will transform you from the inside out. So as we say here at first, you have come to church. Go out and be the church. Have a great week of worship. We can't wait to see you soon.